Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Uh, Good morning, Fred. It is a good morning, and it's been a very, very busy week. Uh, First on the agenda from the Smart Driving Car newsletter is what happened in New York, or what didn't happen in New York, with Amazon canceling the HQ2 plans for the city. Well, it's amazing, but it's really not surprising in a sense, because I guess uh, one of the uh, uh, trains of thought that I've been following lately is that with with new and disruptive things, one has, of course, a thing that you're using to disrupt, and then the other is is that uh, that thing has to be um, has to be welcomed, has to be accepted. Because if it's not, then it's just, in some sense, so easy to kill. And um, and I've sort of gotten on that kick with respect to um, driverless. Uh, shared ride mobility, as, as I'm sure our listeners know, uh, um, my view on the technology is that uh, is that uh, the biggest the societal benefit for it <clears throat> uh, comes to providing mobility and affordable mobility and mobility that is energy efficient and uh, and environmentally responsible. Um, and of course, fundamentally safe. If it's not safe, of course it won't happen. Um, and to do that, uh, to provide affordable, that kind of affordable mobility to everybody, or essentially everybody, um, it, I think technologically it has to be driverless and it has to be shared ride whenever uh, the shared ride opportunity exists. Otherwise, it won't be energy efficient or or environmentally responsible, let alone um, uh, less affordable. Um, so if, if that's really the technology um, it, it needs to provide uh, that uh, quality of life uh, uh, improvement to our, our cities, uh, our communities, our villages, um, then it has to be welcomed. Um, it, it has to be welcomed by those who uh, who consider that to be a valuable um, thing that they would want, and uh, the welcoming is is maybe even more important uh, than really getting all the elements of the technology completely perfectly right. And and that welcoming, I'm not, I've termed it in terms of a welcome mat. Uh, because it's a welcome app because it's a it's a two-way street uh, yes uh, uh, the community the village uh, the city would love um, for those who can provide uh, those elements of mobility of, of, of um, uh, we'd love to have you here uh, but it's a welcome app because of course uh, wipe your feet uh, in other words do it responsibly Really do that. Uh, don't just sell us a bill of goods. Don't do it for the wrong reasons. Don't come sneaking in here and whatever and, and mislead us and so on. And so that welcome mat is really important. And I think uh, and it would be especially important in, in this uh, shared ride driverless mobility 
uh, technology initiative because it, it, that technology is so susceptible um, uh, to be in uh, to, to be in basically uh, ruined. Uh, it's It'd be easy to to key a driverless vehicle. It'd be easy to throw bricks through its windows as it passes by my house. And it'd be uh, almost, it'd be easy for me to run out, jack it up, uh, put it on cinder blocks and steal its wheels. So unless, you know, it's welcomed by the community, by the people who are going to use it, then of course it's it's not going to happen. No, even though it has such potential. It's interesting that you're equating uh, what happened with Amazon in, in, in New York with, with the driverless. Absolutely. To me, it is, it's, it's the same thing. You, you take driverless shared mobility and you replace Amazon. You have Amazon second headquarters. You have exactly the same thing. Amazon second headquarters was, was offering jobs. And, and really reasonably good jobs, jobs that, that have a distribution of income levels that, that, that can be the, really good for, for, for both the poor and the, 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 the PhDs or the well-trained or the lawyers and everybody else uh, across the whole spectrum, um, not just the bankers uh, and, and, of course, uh, not just the, the coal miners, if that's two ends of the spectrum. And, and, and of course, you know, in terms of those opportunities for, for any uh, city, to me, that looks like driverless shared ride mobility that would improve quality of life, uh, the environment, be affordable uh, uh, energy-wise, and, and eliminate congestion. I forgot to eliminate congestion. I mean, but guess what? They have to be. That thing has to be welcomed by the grassroots of the people that are actually going to use it and be with it and be its neighbors. And what happened in New York? I guess all the muckety mucks up at the top that had all the meetings with Amazon and got all the agreements at the top. They forgot about the bottom. They forgot about the grassroots. They forgot about the people. They forgot about uh, not my backyards, the neighbors. Uh, and, and, and the people that would actually get the jobs as to whether or not the, the, the jobs would be good. The, the fact that they, they, didn't, they didn't nail down the, um, the union part of the whole darn thing. And guess what? Uh, the not my backyards um, brought it down. And just like if we don't uh, have the welcoming by those that would actually take advantage of the mobility the offering that would uh, benefit the most from the quality of life improvement. Um, uh, the neighborhoods uh, through which um, these vehicles would necessarily have to operate to be able to provide mobility from A to B. It's not just an A, it's not just a B, but it's along the whole way from A to B. And so everybody has to be welcoming along those that line. And, and, and unless that happens, uh, the benefits aren't going to accrue. It's not going to, it's not going to be put into service. It's not going to be used. And I think, um, you know, the Amazon uh, 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 fiasco, let's call it, that happened in New York is, is just an example of that. If one's going to make the deal to do all these things, which one, I think, necessarily has to do to, to really provide mobility services in a village, in a community, 
in a city, then, then the welcoming has to be both at the top, middle, and bottom through the whole pyramid of, of entities um, that, are, that are going to uh, be a partner to all of this. And, and, and one needs to do that first. And so uh, I think it's a big message to all of us who are, who are trying to make this, this technology happen. It's not just making it safe. It's not just getting the technology to work. It's all the little details about, about how the service is going to be provided, to whom, for what benefit. Um, is, is this just another alternative for those that are, that are super rich and have too many alternatives already? Is it really for people who, who, um, whose quality of life can really be improved? And, and, and if it is, uh, one needs to really talk with them to understand what their needs are, what, the, what, what would improve their lives. And I'm not sure we're doing enough of that with respect to the development of this technology. So that's, that's a long um, um, discussion or, or, or monologue on this. But I think they're, they're, the, the folks that are in the uh, smart driving car world should look uh, very closely at what happened uh, in New York and learn from that. Lessons to be learned. In the newsletter, Alan, you highlight uh, an article from the Los Angeles Times uh, written by our, our friend Russ Mitchell with the headline, An Agency Hid te- Tesla Crash Data for Nearly Two Years. Is That Any Way to Build Trust in Driverless Cars? Kind of related to what we were just talking about in a way. Yeah, I think it's kind of related. I mean, you know, the, all these entities are collecting data and everybody, because they're protecting their IP, wants, wants to hide it. And of course, uh, with respect to Tesla, Tesla released some data to NHTSA. Uh, NHTSA came up um, with a result that was, that was uh, you know, very profound that in fact, you know, you had a 40% reduction in, in crash rates um, if you had autopilot on as opposed to not having autopilot on, or at least that's the way I interpreted And I think many others interpreted the results um, somebody went in and tried to get the actual data and say, "What does the data, what does the what does the data really show?" And they came up and, and suggested that uh, maybe it didn't show that at all. It, it really showed the opposite. And then, you know, when I tried to look at the data, I looked at the data and I said, "My goodness, I don't see how you from what's been released. I don't see what you can say about anything." If in fact, you know, one is looking to to suggest. Um, uh, how safe uh, autopilot is, and uh, you know, one needs to compare with and without autopilot. You know, that's a fundamental. Now, of course, um, you know, since there's only one reality, you can't do that absolutely precisely, uh, right? Right? Because either you had it on or you had it off. But it doesn't even seem that they reported the data uh, that basically says that if you want to use one measure of safety. Uh, that is crashes and what kind of crashes crashes that deploy airbags well that is one measure it's not the most perfect measure but it's a seems like a pretty reasonable one hey i'm not crashing and my airbags not exploding maybe that's 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 a reasonable definition of safety or at least uh, my point of view and so one should look at okay how many crashes occurred 
when uh, how many deployments of, of um, airbags um, occurred uh, when uh, when autopilot is turned on and, and what happens when autopilot is turned off. Uh, and that gives you one measure. Well, people would say, well, it's not exactly the same because, you know, it's not the same situations. Of course, it's not the same situations. I probably turn on autopilot only when driving is pretty easy and won't turn it on when it's hard because uh, I don't trust it or something like that. Therefore, I want to be in the loop. So, in fact, uh, you know, uh, uh, one would expect that there would be more deployments uh, when it's not on and on just because it might be a you know, more challenging driving scenario. So, okay, so you have to discount the number a little bit because of that. Um, and then also, you know, it might also be with respect to who's driving. Not everybody's the same. Um, and if I'm a good driver, maybe I never turn on uh, autopilot. And if I'm a bad driver, maybe I always turn on. I don't know. So, sure, one, one would have to, you know, look at, at the results um, with uh, with uh, with uh, with some care, uh, but at least it would give you you know a fundamental number uh, that you can then do a variational analysis on. I mean, one's not looking to get this thing accurate to fourteen decimal places. One's one's looking at you know maybe uh, even um, if if there are factors at two or three or or point five or something like that, uh, uh, not the three decimal places. But they didn't even do that, it doesn't seem. So, um, so really, uh, to do all this, what NHTSA should be doing is really re releasing all the data so that people could, could do a, a, what they consider more appropriate analysis to try to learn from this. The great thing about what Tesla's doing is they're collecting an enormous amount of data. They know, they, they actually can tell us which... Which what the scenarios were when the when the when the autopilots turned on or turned off? Uh, they have lat longs on this. They have time of day. They you can relate that to, to weather conditions. Blah blah blah. You can go into absolute detail if they only release the data. So NHTSA, please release the data. Um, look, a lot of other we're not trying to. Everybody's trying to figure out: Is this good enough? Is this is it, uh, can we build some confidence out of this such that it may very well be good enough? That in fact we should be encouraging people to, to buy autopilot because it does uh, reduce crashes and it does save lives. Um, but let's let some of the other people that are interested in this really uh, dig through the data to figure this out. And I think uh, Russ did a really good job of. Uh, of pointing out and bringing out this whole issue in his article. While we're on the subject of data, uh, this week, another disengagement uh, report from the state of California. You've got a number of, of links in the newsletter to different stories surrounding that. Really interesting here. I guess we're, we're continuing to learn a lot by this from these disengagement reports. Um, and uh, it shows the, the average miles between disengagements by company and explain first of all for the audience for people who may not be familiar most people would be who are listening to us uh what what they mean by disengagements here yes uh, d disengagements mean when you turn on the automated system in a vehicle as they're testing them in california basically it, it takes the the driver out of the loop and the vehicle ends up doing things 
and uh, but the driver is uh, is sitting there providing adult supervision and 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 if the driver uh, gets to a point where um, he or she thinks that uh, maybe uh, the automated system is isn't going to do the right thing, they'll intervene and take over and they'll disengage the automated system. And so uh, it's it's a judgment call uh, by the um, uh, by the attendants, and um, and that judgment call may may or may not have been correct, uh, in that uh, maybe the vehicle would have not crashed, would have done okay. Uh, they didn't need to disengage. We don't really know. Um, they they just decided to disengage. Now you know the disengagements are are not are done really to um, uh, to avert uh, a crash. These people are trained to not just disengage them for, for the heck of it. These are disengagements that, that, that really, um, uh, one, uh, stopped having confidence in the automated system to do the right thing and uh, felt that uh, a human needed to do the right uh, what we do know is if you don't disengage, then the number of crashes that occur uh, then go occur. So at least uh, you know we we know that um, that uh, may, uh, the situations in which crashes do occur, if you have occurred, uh, then there should have been a dis- disengagement. Those are very very few in number, and I don't even know over the past year whether there were actually any uh, that were that were caused by. Uh, the automated system, although uh, I'm sure someone will correct me, but off the top of my head, I can't think of any in the past year, of course, except for the um, the Uber situation, but that's that wasn't in California, and that's not contained here. So, well, so the statistics look pretty interesting here, um, and it's the average miles between disengagements by company, and this goes from December of 2017 to November of 2018, and it shows that uh, Waymo is far out in front here with uh, one disengagement for every 11,154 miles driven. Yeah, that is, that is an impressive number. It's, it's uh, basically one in 10,000 miles. Okay, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it improves. Uh, it, it's twice as good as what they were last year. Uh, they were about uh, one in five thousand miles, give or take, last year. So, so over the past year, uh, with this measure, one could say that they're they've improved. Uh, they reduced the the number of potential crash situations uh, by um, uh, by a factor of of two or cut it in half, which is really good. Is it far enough? Uh, what should it be? Should it be one crash within a hundred thousand miles? Should it be one crash within a million miles? I think a lot of people are still, um, you know, questioning what that is. Um, the situation is then, you know, what kind of crashes? Let's see. I don't know. I've driven, I don't know, two hundred fifty thousand miles in my life. What have I had? Five crashes or something that have been maybe. Four crashes that have been my fault, all small, luckily. Um, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of people that, that develop uh, measures for that. Uh, 
what we don't know, and this isn't perfect data because we don't know that this uh, disengagement equals a crash. Uh, we know that, that uh, if you don't disengage, there haven't been crashes. We don't know if you disengage and you hadn't disengaged. We, we have no idea as to whether or not there would have been a crash. We have some idea. We, we think that the chances are probably reasonable that there would, or let's assume that probably reasonable that there would. So let's make the, you know, the, the hurdle be uh, a potential crash, not just a crash. So, you know, that's part of the discussion here. Uh, plus, you know, each manufacturer or each uh, company that's testing does not have exactly the same de definition as a disengagement. Some more, maybe more, let's call it trigger happy and disengage more quickly when they really didn't need to disengage. Um, uh, and we know that nobody's been not enough trigger happy because there haven't been crashes. So, except again, in California, not including Uber. Um, so, um, yes, it's not the perfect measure. People have other definitions, but darn it, it's a darn good measure. At least California is collecting this. At least it's substantive. The other complaint about the measure is that, you know, not all driving scenarios are the same. Somebody may be out there just, you know, testing around the block in the middle of the night when there's nobody there <clears throat> just to get their disengagement uh, value <laughs> really good. I don't believe that anybody's doing that. I don't believe that anybody would waste the time, money, or effort to do that. I mean, this isn't a game that people are playing here. They're doing the testing to learn. They're doing the testing to try to find out where the system doesn't work. They're not, they, they know where it works. Uh, they, they're trying to trip over the situations where it doesn't work. So I suspect that most of the folks, and you can't even translate this into what they would op do in normal operation, because I think that that, that most people uh, test in much more difficult situations. And so therefore, maybe a one in 10,000 uh, mile disengagement to, uh, by Waymo really uh, transcends into a one uh, by 100,000 mile disengagement in, in a real um, operation because the miles that they are running are much tougher miles. Now, some other people comment, well, we're testing in downtown San Francisco and they're testing in the suburbs. And of course, downtown San Francisco is more difficult. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, um, part of that is true, but but in a sense, I think what everybody's out there doing is trying to is trying to stress uh, test uh, their technology, and of course, you would expect uh, high rates of disengagement. You know, when you look at apples, apples is like one in every you know ten miles or a mile. I mean, it's really much much worse uh, measure uh, than than what. Uh, what Waymo's was over the past year, but maybe Apple is just testing in the most stringent environments and in the places where it's, it's really easy, they're not wasting their time. Don't know that information. They haven't made that information available. They haven't described in detail what their tests uh, scenarios were or what the what routes they ran by time of day. They have all that those data. Um, they've chosen, uh, and, and California has chosen uh, for them to not release it, and they've chosen to not release it. But 
in the end, um, um, those details are important. But I think that to me, the way I, I interpret the numbers is that these are, these are potential crashes, crash rates in uh, what are more, more difficult scenarios. And um, therefore, um, the likely crash rates implications for normal operations are maybe as much as, as 10 times better uh, than the rates that, they're, that at least some of these folks are, 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 are reporting. Lots of improvement shown uh, in, in these stats uh, from GM Cruise as well. They're one disengagement for about every 5,000 miles, which is where I guess Waymo was a, a year earlier. Right. And so, I mean, again, they're close to comparing apples and apples on those things. And I think uh, uh, GM should be very happy with themselves that they're only one year behind uh, Waymo. So uh, kudos to them. Uh, I took it as a very po- very positive numbers. And as I've mentioned with, with respect to, to Apple's numbers, <laughs> while they're, they're really much worse, um, they may have an excuse. You know, their dog may have homework. Well, there's another story uh, interesting that has to do with, with Waymo from ARS Technica, and it has a headline that says, Google's Waymo risks repeating Silicon Valley's most famous blunder. And uh, they're looking at Neuro raising about a billion dollars in investment uh, from the SoftBank Vision Fund. And I guess wondering whether... Uh, they could have a, a little startup overtake them, as as uh, as we've seen happen occasionally with technology companies in the past. Well, uh, that report by Timothy Leary was uh, was was uh, sent chills up and down my spine. I guess I mean it, it really points out here we have Waymo, which uh, at least uh, this point last year, you know, considered at least before the Uber crash. Uh, to be uh, to be way out in front and ready to just explode and, and having on you know exponential growths or whatever and so on and all of a sudden uh, um, the chill that was put on by the uh, I'll blame it by by the Uber crash uh, really uh, seemed to have, um, have uh, caused Waymo to go in some sense back into a shell and and one wonders whether or not uh, uh, all of a sudden somebody else might come in and say well uh, Waymo's out there really trying to do um, hit the home run and, and do the driverless share drive let's assume I mean to me that's the uh, that's the big enchilada and yet, uh, maybe um, those that are backing off and uh, and trying to do um, something that let's just call it more simple, um, not necessarily more simple, but more basic or something like that, might all of a sudden be able to uh, uh, really enter the market and before you know it, go buy them and um, and basically, um, as has been suggested here, the uh, the uh, Xerox, and um, I thought it was a very interesting um, uh, thought piece uh, that um, uh, that Tim Timothy put out there, and uh, I think everybody should should um, read that one and think. 
Bloomberg has a report uh, about Ford and Volkswagen discussing autonomous car, uh, a partnership uh, with a $4 billion valuation. Uh, Your thoughts here? Yeah, well, you know, I guess it's nice. Um, uh, But if you compare it to um, uh, at least uh, what Adam Jonas valued, Waymo uh, last year at 175, uh, four is not equal to 175. Uh, so I guess what what Ford and Volkswagen must be talking about um, is not the same thing as what Waymo's talking about. Otherwise, um, otherwise the number would be much greater than four. They'd be farther along uh, than than they are, or I don't know. But uh, uh, but I just. Uh, that's my only comment on that one. Um, great that they're getting together. And then there's uh, Uber's numbers uh, ahead of their uh, their expected uh, IPO this year, uh, reporting $3 billion in fourth quarter revenue, but rising operating losses. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the numbers are, are pretty impressive if, if they had a driverless vehicle to, to then take that and bring it to scale um, and a, dri- a shared driverless uh, vehicle. Uh, but if, if, uh, if one is going to continue with the same uh, operating model that they have, which is uh, there's a driver in the loop, I think the numbers then suggest that uh, – uh, that we might be reaching peak Uber. Interesting. Then in the half-baked stuff that probably doesn't deserve your time category in the newsletter, you've got a couple of things. One is a, a Deloitte uh, report, the 2019 Deloitte City Mobility Index. I mean, if you if you read that and, and, and you then... Um, um, Think about what happened to Amazon HQ2, and you just—I don't know—you just uh, you just roll your eyes. I mean, it's. I think that all of this uh, smart cities, um, um, the Internet of Things, and all of that, and all of this, and, and and let's not get into the privacy thing of having all this data so that uh, Facebook can just sit there and control you and stick you into a, uh, a, uh, sky, uh, into a skyscraper and, uh, and have you live your life. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm completely turned off by all that stuff. So that's why I put it in there. And, uh, and maybe, I don't know what, what my readers, maybe the, Hey, let's, you know, let's do something. Uh, that it, it has, it, it just does not have any people scale. And there's also a report under that same uh, half-baked stuff category from Apple Insider saying uh, Apple designed inter-car communications could make Project Titan safer. Yeah, uh, emphasize the could. Uh, will it? Uh, probability is uh, 10 to the minus 82 or something like that, at least in my opinion. This is talking about a patent uh, that was published uh, by, right. by it's Apple. It's a patent that's public. So if I put antennas on the fourth corners of my car and then I measure, I really measure the signals between that and then the interference with the others, then all of a sudden I'm going to know exactly where all the vehicles around me are and therefore uh, I'll be able to drive more safely. It's again, you know, one of these B2B things. 
and uh, and and it essentially doesn't work until you have uh, these antennas on essentially all the cars, not just a couple, because because then most of the cars around you won't have it, and they still have to worry about you know knowing about them. And and great, I know about one three cars over. I don't know about the car right next to me. And then the second thing is, is any of that stuff has to be calibrated. And once you read the word calibrated, then that means that there's a potential for drift. And if there's a potential for drift, uh, then you don't even know what the value is. Uh, plus, there's interference that all of a sudden give you a distribution of the value. So instead of knowing it precisely, you don't know it precisely. So in the end, it's just a patent. And before we go, we want to remind our, our listeners about the third annual Princeton Smart Driving Car Summit. Not too far off now. It's, it's coming up in mid-May. Yep, I've been working on it uh, this past week. Uh, we have some good sponsors that are that are showing up. Uh, plus, we're going to have at least nine workshops and delving into um, uh, all the topics. Um, and, and again, the, the the focus is to have discussion uh, uh, about this. Uh, it's not one way street. It's not sales jobs. Uh, it's uh, how can we figure out what the right way is? And of course. To me, the most important is how do we really uh, set up a welcoming environment uh, such that um, such that it will be respected uh, and and it will actually actually reach um, to deployment so that we can actually gain and improve the quality of life uh, to numerous individuals. Um, that's what we're trying to do. And you really want to be there. For more information, go to smartdrivingcar.com. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and more. You can ask your smart speaker to play us too. Find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for spending some time with us.